Why are you doing this? Doing what? Helping me so much. Do you believe in God, John? No. No? Just like that? No. Ever tried to look for him? It's strange. People think you'll look for him in some book, or in a church, or a statue, maybe even a candle flame. But that's not how it works for me. I look for him in the unlikely things that happen. Little coincidences. And when I saw you sitting at that bus station, you reminded me so much of someone. Someone I haven't seen in a long time. And then, when you said you were going to Portsmouth, well, a coincidence like that, I just can't ignore it. So strange as it may sound, I guess I saw God in you. podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello, and welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week, we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lacking. Guys, he was here, but he said he needed to go down to the furnace. I am sure it'll all be fine. You know, it's getting getting chillier here in the Carolinas. Don't know what it's like where he's at, but you know, going down to the furnace, that's pretty innocuous. That's the thing people do in approaching winter time. I'm sure there's no problems there. In the meantime, allow me to welcome you listeners back to our last series of the year. Shed a tear if you will, but this series is a collection of otherwise unconnected films. We are calling Foggo Wieners in honor of the Fogoween attendees who submitted them. Join Patreon and you too can attend Fogoween next year and perhaps submit your own Fogoweener for uh, discussion in 2023, which is a mighty close thing on the calendar. Last week, we discovered the Wolfman does indeed have nards when we covered 1987's The Monster Squad. 
For this week's Fogawina, we're learning there's no place like school for the holidays as a couple teen girls go through some totally normal teen girl stuff with Oz Perkins, the black coat's daughter. Dear Jesus, hopefully it's not totally normal teen girl stuff. But before we make a failed attempt to say grace, permit me to remind you listeners that here at the fear of God, we explore. We do not explain. Except for right now, when I explain that you can find every fog and fear of God thing imaginable at thefearofgodpodcast.com. Things like how to support us on Patreon, as well as essays, team bios, episode archives, merchandise. <laughs> Reed Lackey! Hey, is that, is that Jess Fishley or Reed Lackey? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh she is the she is the uh you know much younger and better looking version of what we see right She's, now. So that's that's that. We did discover enemy. That oh yeah, that's true. That's true. It's, I I need to be <laughs> making a phone call. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's funny. Oh. That's funny. Hey, that is funny. Hey man. How are um, you? Um I it is, boy. it is the end of the year and i'm trying to make sure it's not the end of us you know oh I'm, that's, man that's strong that's strong it's just it so, is a crazy I, I get it crazy get time it. in life my youngest child's been sick for a month and hopefully oh, by the time this airs I'm sorry to hear that it, it'll that will be gone so i, I hope please, so jesus let that be over yeah no um, joke no joke but how are how are you reed how are you i'm okay honestly it's a, a strange season in my life we don't have to go into all of it right huh. now but no but no just it's one of those things have where, you like, been bowing down to the furnace that maybe that's the problem is uh <laughs> I, th- I think you've i think you've struck on it no um it's it's one of those things where it is a it is a high volatility season in my life there's a lot of stresses there's a lot of things like okay we got to figure this out we got to figure that out so personally speaking all is pretty well but the navigation of the logistics of life is proving to be a, 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 a task, you know, is, is proving to be like, oh, okay, all right, well, got to, all these ducks in order, constantly feel, particularly related to work, constantly feel like there's something that I'm missing or something that's like, okay, I got to make sure I take care of this, 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 and this. And so it's a weird season in life because mm. broadly speaking, I feel pretty comfortable in my own skin, which is a really nice feeling for me to feel. Um, but at the same time, there's just, yeah, just the navigation of life is, is, is very tumultuous at the moment. So I get it. So yeah, I get it. Um, that was a, you know, that was a bigger answer than you probably were expecting. No, me. but yes, yeah, Hey, Reed, we talk movies, we talk life. We do life, yeah. love and other mysteries as point of mm-hmm. grace saying to us. Wow. Remember yeah. if it's a point of grace? Did that. <laughs> <laughs> that is back in the day, right there. <laughs> like, man. Well, oh, man. was that uh, keep uh, the candle burning? Was that keep the candle? That yes, keep the, that was keep the candle yep. burning, wasn't it? Keep oh. the candle burning. Oh. Keep the candle burning. Oh my gosh! Pretty I soon you're gonna tour. be. Them and for him. You, I was just going to say, you. pretty soon yep. we're going to reference for him, and I didn't get yep. the words out quick enough. I was yep. like, man, we need to get back. I remember that was like a big, big hit. I mean. Basics man. of life. Yeah. Get back and to the And do you remember there was that, I feel like we've referenced this on the show before, but who cares? You know, let's go for it. I feel like, <laughs> do you remember that they had an album that was almost like they it was, cribbed the it all that was, you can't leave behind imagery? It, it was called Walk On. <laughs> was oh. the name of the album. I mean, it, and it was, was them so, in an airport oh. in black and white. They weren't, in an, they weren't in an airport, but all of the, to, to your point, it was so blatant, like all of the, the font of the text, 
some of the other song titles. Well, some of the little uh, I, emblems, right? They were yeah, definitely absolutely. copying that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was like the the meme where somebody's like copying your homework and like changing a few details. Like it was absolutely completely that. It was uh yeah, it was I that was the moment. What's ironic about you bringing that up is that seeing that album's release was the moment I kind of mentally realized like, hmm. So this is just a phase, huh? This whole CCM thing, like this is yeah, uh, yeah. so this so this is just well, a, and at the time, you know, more than that. Now this was hard to discern because uh, just reading it on the page is a lot different than the verbalization. But sure, you know how like sure. like Prince went through that moment where he was the symbol, the artist formerly known as. Well, you mm-hmm. know, in addition to totally copying U 2s uh, uh, print imagery from all that you can't leave behind for that particular album, Walk On. That moment in time, they also kind of a la Garth Brooks and Chris Gaines redubbed themselves. I don't know if you knew that. Like it was uh, for that particular album, it was Far Him. <laughs> What's really funny is until you revealed the punchline, I was like, I don't remember this period. I owned most for him albums, but then, but then you bust out with this like Irish brogue, and I was like, oh okay, oh, okay. This is one of those long con Nathan setups. Yes. Like, oh man, yes. I got a yes. joke that's gonna take five minutes to pay. Love off. it, love it, but but it pays off almost every time because I got because I know I can. What's so funny? Is you think by now you'd you'd start to pick up on like I don't know I think I'm about to get conned. Nope, but nope, it still I it don't. still lands the plane. I love you for it, and I yeah. love that it happened. Fire him! <laughs> fire! Fire him! Fire him! <laughs> oh, me blarney! <laughs> the, the basics you know, of they, life. They'd go to, they'd go to tires and they'd be like, "What? You two? What? You know? There's, not okay. you two. Fire him!" <laughs> last last comment about Please. for him and CCM. No, last comment. There is a song. Do you have that? Maybe you don't. But that era for me is largely like the 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 era I remember fondly, but don't revisit. Um, with a few little tiny exceptions. There was an album they did called "The Ride" that has it's a the couple of roller coaster ride that, of life. That song, roller coaster, roller coaster. Every, every once in a while, I will crank out. Come that on, song. man! Every once in a while, I worked in a Christian. I, would, I worked in a yeah. Christian bookstore for years. Yeah. Every it is it is pretty periodic. Like it's not very often, but every once in a while, I'll just get in the mood to have a little bit of childhood nostalgia, and that is one of my go tos. Is I will I will I mean, crack out. I shared for him. I shared this side anecdote on I think uh, maybe Infinity War or Endgame that in high school my mother would ask was I going to wear comic books to school? Cause that was all I spent my money on. Uh, but by the, by the same extension, the same question could have been asked about Christian music CDs. Circa, sure. You know, sure. 96 oh, yeah. through 2001. Oh my gosh. Wow. Um, wow. It's like, Nathan, are you going to just wear those? Like maybe, maybe I might going to be collector's items one day. What if I was gonna, <laughs> how do you what do people it? think when they <laughs> right. hear that I'm a Jesus freak? <laughs> That album. Oh, man, that album. You know what? This is really funny because the listeners, listeners are going to tune in for Black Coat's Daughter. They think, yeah. like, okay, Reed and Nathan devil. sort of, they dust off the cobwebs with a little bit of, uh, you know, like uh, scene setting and business time yeah. and everything. Like, No, you've just been treated to a 10-minute diatribe about uh, 90s era CCM. And, uh, and, and, you know, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Yeah. I was there for that. I'm here for this. So, uh, yeah. And at this uh, point, most of those folks have either renounced Jesus or come out of the closet or, you know, whatever. It's, <laughs> it's just like, they're, they're like, hey, this was all you go back a charade. They're like, they're like, no, yeah. it was a charade. You know? It's a charade. We weren't really <laughs> Americans. We're actually Irish. 
you go back in time to interview all of them. And it's just uh-huh. like, where do you see yourself in 10 years? <laughs> funny, <laughs> funny, funny story. <laughs> like, just, just, uh, let's just do that. Sold out crowds, man. Sold out crowds. <laughs> wow. Man. So, uh, okay. yeah. So, business time. A little bit of business. Sure. Um, <laughs> so, the, you know, speaking of uh, evolutions of people, uh, mm. our 300th mm. episode it's coming up, Reed. That's and impossible for me to believe. So, so there's this. There's next week, which FYI is going to be White God. Uh, then there's yes. a Quarterly Queen. Then there's another Faga Wiener. Mm-hmm. So we're four away. We can we can hold at least one more week before we announce what episode three hundred is. We announce but I want it? people okay. to know. Right. Yeah, yeah. Just know, listeners, you want episode people to three. Know. <laughs> oh, they'll know. <laughs> episode three hundred is. Coming quickly, and uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a party. Um, it's gonna be our New Year's Eve staff party, Fog staff party. It's gonna be a grand old time. <laughs> oh um, you know, we're gonna ring in the New Year with just a hell of a movie. And uh, but one way to put it, at least one got at least one more week to mm-hmm. find out exactly what it is. Um, sure. I do want to announce here. I want to announce here, Reed. That An announcement. We're gonna hold off on that announcement, but because. You, you know, you referenced how frenetic and kind of heavy your work scenario is. Mm-hmm. There is an Over the Rhine song uh, called If We Make It Through December that I often will reference to my wife. Like, this okay. is how it feels. Like, if we make it through December, everything will be all right. Sure. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. After yeah. That. Well, it is starting to feel like if we make it through November. Like, that's how <laughs> life is feeling like right now. That said, Christmas <laughs> is near. And, Reed, I'm going mm-hmm. to announce to you and the Foggers right here that after two years dark, uh, uh, the play I produce, uh, inspired by the works of the late, as of this year, Frederick Buechner, uh, The Birth is being staged once awesome. more in Charlotte, North Carolina. On top of that, wow. I'm very excited to announce. Uh, so, one, I'm announcing that it's happening in the event you're anywhere in proximity to Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, and want to come, go to thebirth.net. Uh, it's a relatively bare bones website right now. Cause who's got time for that, but ain't nobody pertinent stuff is there if you want to come. But on top of that, I am thrilled at the fact that one and only fog frequent guest and friend of the show, Jackson Harper is going to be in the show. That's he is going to be in the birth read. That's wonderful. I can't believe it. Even still. It's uh, so great. But it's so great. It's, it's going to happen. It's exciting. It's I'm excited for it. Um, if you haven't, you should go check out Jackson's music on your music platform of choice uh uh he's got an album called the killing floor which is fantastic Mm -hmm. you should check out his stuff and you'd be like nathan made a good choice i like making good choices so that is a bit of a personal announcement but semi-fog related because foggers involved foggers are invited uh and off we go that's that's my business tybreen all right you got any other business times honestly no you covered it all and i'm i'm grateful for it so uh i will say since you covered off business time that uh we're about to head into um, a little patron segment, uh, and if I'm to understand correctly, uh, I'm going to be put in the hot seat. I'm going to be put in the, the in the Speaking hot tub. <laughs> yes. So, uh, so everybody, uh, to the patron mobile. So about this black AF movie, it is so so dark. It's so dark, it's so dark. You want um, to you want me to tell you how I watched this movie? Read. Yeah. Did you watch it on your phone? 
No, Hell I'm just no. kidding. You tell me. <laughs> Sacrilegious. Um, I watched it on my iPad. <laughs> like, listen, it's a bigger screen, okay? It's a bigger it is screen. A bi- it definitely is. I would I would not have uh, uh, sullied the good work of Mr. Perkins on my phone. But the other night, so you want to know something really lovely is it's gotten kind of chilly in Charlotte, yes. Carolina. And yeah. it just mm. makes it, it's it's like the reverse Grinch. It makes my heart grow. And, mm-hmm. um, and Friday night, was it Friday night? My kids were watching something. Maybe my wife was already in bed. I don't remember exactly, but man, I don't we got know. a little, we got a, we got a little, man, I don't know. We got a little <laughs> screened in porch. I'd never seen the black coat starter before. Did not watch a trailer. In fact, little tidbit. I actually was pretty thrown initially. I was for some reason. Don't huh. ask me why, uh, what, if you had asked me before I watched it, before I watched anything related to it, hey, Nathan, tell me what you think this is about. I actually thought it was a period piece. I don't know why. Wow, interesting. For okay. some reason, okay. hmm. what little association I had, I thought period piece, a la the witch type thing. Um, interesting. And um, so uh, it's cold outside. I get a blanket. And I go oh, out on wow. our little screened in porch and we've got a little, it's actually not very comfortable, but we got a little like love seat esque wicker couch thing out there. Wow. Wow. And I put my wow. AirPods in and I start watching the black coat's daughter on my iPad and it's oh, my and like gosh. four feet away on any side is, or maybe a little more than that, you know, in front of me about four feet away uh, to the sides, about six or seven feet away. Uh, it's screen and then just blackness out in the dark in the night. That is and awesome. That's an awesome way to see me, this movie. The way I'm sitting in this couch thing behind me is windows into our kitchen. Well, mm-hmm. because I have no idea what I'm about to watch, and it starts to get creepier and creepier the longer I go. Absolutely. I turn, I turn to uh, basically have the windows on my side, so my okay. iPad is not facing the kitchen because I don't want children to walk into the kitchen and look out and see Daddy watching some jacked up craziness on his iPad. Naturally. So I watch the entirety of the Black Coat's Daughter in the cold under a blanket out on my porch, mm. and I got to be honest, Reed, this is a creepy ass movie. <laughs> it, well, especially in that environment, like it's going to be heightened watching it. I mean, like yes. it's unnerving in any capacity. But it is absolutely like you watching it in that kind of setting, which I, I, I applaud wholeheartedly your, you know, stage setting there to be able to that. Sure. This is this is the perfect kind of movie for that kind of environment because it's very methodical. It's really subtle. And yes, it invites you to just keep your eyes glued to the screen to the degree that if you don't. M- several puzzle pieces might be missing from you if you glance away for a second because there's lots of things about this film that he reveals narratively uh, that he doesn't actually show you. That is just, you know, he trusts, uh, I dare say, demands your attention to watch yeah. the film. And uh, and so, yeah, that that's a perfect way to have seen this movie. That's really great. And uh, I love it. You know, you have to compartmentalize a little bit because if you if you drift too far from the movie, you'll be like, did I just hear something outside the screen over there? Is, that, is, that, is, is there a goat person out in the in, the, in my yard? Is there a goat backyard? person? It's a, what is that shadow over there? Like, oh, it's just, oh. a, just a pile of clothes. Mm, that shadow. No, never mind. I just like yes, mm, that shadow. shadow goat man. <laughs> shadow um, goat man. So I'd never seen it. That's how I watched it. Uh, by the way, we should mention that this Fogawiener was submitted by Asia and J. Mark Swatchentruber. The Swatchentrubers. 
I'm just gonna say their name like that. all the you accents know? tonight. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and And I do want to throw here. I'm gonna pull it up real quick. It is not hard to find. Um, I texted Asia, so I watched it Friday night. Okay. Here's what's interesting about my experience of the Black Coats Delta. Um, okay. I want it. It is so dark. It's one of those that's kind of so dark. You're like, ah, I don't know. But then <laughs> just a, you, you lost the power of speech. It's one of those things like it is so yeah. dark. It's just like, oh, and yeah. they're like, that's the end of, uh-huh. I don't know uh-huh. that that's fun. that you kind of me when I say you, I mean me, um, hmm. you kind of reconcile yourself to just be like, okay, check that one off the list, <laughs> never to return. But then I start reading stuff. Oh, yeah. And then I'm like, huh, <laughs> read to the point. I didn't do this, but to the point that I actively thought about and began the mental legwork of trying to figure out how to watch it again before tonight. Really? And so what I, wow. what I texted Asia was, <laughs> I said, I hate when I'm just going to read it. I hate when dark ass movies that are creepy <laughs> AF upon reading more of the backstory of them make me want to watch again even though I don't really want the experience of watching again, but I also kind of do, but I don't, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So I actively, once, once I started reading more about it and just kind of reading interviews and interesting, and and Hmm. I'm, I will, I will try to shut up here. Um, once this is this to me, read is kind of the power of the horror genre, which is to Hmm. say, uh, you and I haven't talked about this, but on the big picture recently podcast, you will not enjoy this conversation, but you'll love this two minutes of it. Okay. The reason you wouldn't enjoy it is it's actually one of the main hosts is very anti Halloween ends. It's a little dis- disheartening. Um, Aww, that's a bummer, but, but he and his host spend about three minutes talking about the power of the horror genre and, Hmm. Uh, Chris, Chris Ryan, his guest for that episode just has this really awesome, like he doesn't couch it in anything spiritual like we might, but it's this very awesome, like the reason horror is so strong and especially so strong cinematically right now is it is one of the only genres that is evergreen from the standpoint that it will always be used as a reflection of a, a person, uh, our experience of the world around us and our attempts to, to, articulate to verbalize to wrestle down to reconcile ourselves to the experiences we have so i share that Mm -hmm. simply to say from a thematic standpoint what's powerful to me and this movie is emblematic of it of horror is like on its face i got to the end of this i was like no thank you (laughs) Uh -uh, uh, i'm done but (laughs) the more you ponder it the more you read about it's sort of like genesis and it's it's reason for being uh the more you're like okay i kind of get it and i'm now i'm more intrigued anyway so that is a long-winded way of articulating my first and thus far only experience of this movie. Of this movie. Um, I had... So, one thing that I should preface with, and this is somewhat apropos of nothing, but you may you may have picked up on this because I mentioned it again with Enemy and everything. Like, of late, I mean, I'm, I used to be, like, somewhat champion of trivial bits and, and things like that. Like, oh, I just I want to mention all the things. I'm not quite sure why, but of late, I've just been wanting to see what I walk away with without a lot of external uh, 
uh, reading. Sure. You know, that, that's just the mode that I'm in. You know, give it a couple of months, and I'm going to be devouring all of the think pieces and the trivial bits and all this other sort of stuff. But that's just been my mode as of late, where I'm just like, oh, let me just receive it and let me find out. Um, a few years ago, I don't remember precisely when this film was bubbling up. A lot of people were talking about it. A lot of people were like recommending it, like, oh, this little sleeper hit to the degree. Here's what's fascinating. So Oz Perkins, I've seen all three of his films. I've seen um, the uh, I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House, which was uh, released to Netflix. Yes, you are. Oh, thank you. Um, So it was released to Netflix. It actually also stars uh, Lucy Boynton, who um, plays Rose in this film. Um, So anyway, I, I, I saw that. That is a period piece. Maybe that's why you thought Black Coat's Daughter was. Um, but, uh, I saw that and then it was a couple of years later that I saw Black Coat's Daughter because I saw it in proximity to a lot of people talking about it. But what's interesting is Black Coat's Daughter was made first, um, it, 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 sequentially from films. I think Black Coat's Daughter is actually his first film. Although I think the first film that was released of his is I Am the Pretty Thing That, that Lives in the House. I'm not completely positive about that, but, and then the other film is, of course he did Gretel and Hansel. Um, which oh. I saw and, and and I was was very taken with. Yeah, that's Oz huh. Perkins as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, so um, so yeah. So I've seen all of his films. I I love his attention to he's he's, he's just he's very more great and powerful than I expected. <laughs> hey, you know I I I understood that reference. Um, <laughs> so, but uh, what I what I think is great about his approach is he's very confident as a filmmaker of just like I mentioned it earlier that he like, he demands his audience's attention. Like he's perfectly fine leaving you a bit confused perhaps initially because he does not telegraph with big neon signs precisely what you are supposed to gleam from every scene. Like the entire subplot, I, this stood out to me this time around and then I'll get back to my history with it. It stood out to me this time around the entire subplot with Rose and her, am I pregnant? Am I not? And talking with the boyfriend and all this other sort of stuff. Like a lot of that is done in very subtle, um, kind of under the radar sort of ways. And I just, I, I was impressed by that. I was impressed by that approach. Um, so I really, I really enjoy his storytelling style. Um, and when I saw I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House, openly, I'm, I was a bit ambivalent to it. And I was just kind of like, okay, that was what you described of that was a box I've checked and now I've seen that film. But I had a much stronger and more favorable response to Black Coat's Daughter. I, I from go, from my first viewing, I really highly enjoyed Black Coat's Daughter. And then uh, I responded very positively to Gretel and Hansel as well. So it's making me want to revisit I am the pretty thing so that I can see if like maybe, maybe I would respond a little bit more warmly or more positively to it this time around. Um, this time watching it through, I was just immediately taken in and I knew the major beats that were coming, but this film just casts a bit of a spell that, uh, if you, uh, you, your description of the way you engage this film, I'm like, that's how this film, not maybe those specifics, but that spirit of I'm going to, you know, really devote time. It's only a 95 minute movie, but like, I'm going to devote that time to watching this film and really engaging with it. I think that's the best way to experience this film. This is not the film that you want to pop on when you're like, Oh, I, I want a, a fun rollicking sort of Halloween night movie. You know, it's, yeah, it's not fun about it. It's, it's yeah. not a party kind of film. It's the kind of film that if you are able to engage yourself with, um, not necessarily the specifics of, 
screened in porch blanket wicker chair whatever sure. but this is the kind of film that i think if you set the stage to say like i'm going to this is what i'm doing for 95 minutes like i'm not right going to distract myself and I'm whatever like that's the best way to receive this movie I think it's rewarding to do so that way not every film has that vibe not every film really demands that but I think this one uh, it's possible you could walk away with very different experiences if you don't kind of hate to use this kind of language but like surrender yourself to like okay no this Mm -hmm. is what I'm receiving to the devil (laughs) I know because of all of that but um but yeah, it's it's a very very fascinating film. I'm I'm really taken with it now. Two two viewings in, uh, I think it's I, I there are many parts of this film that I love, and I think I would largely say that I love the film as a whole just for what it offers. Particularly, and we'll we'll definitely get into this for that final moment. Um, that 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 final moment just uh, I think says a lot about what we uh, have witnessed in the 94 minutes that precede it. So um, so yeah. That's now, my take on it. having watched it the one time, and we'll go into that ain't right in any second now. But you're the final moment of uh, Joan the, in the street crying, yes, or in the okay, yes, okay, standing in I the bet. snow, yeah, yeah standing my main in the snow. Was just... like, oh god, please let me have remembered <laughs> what the final <laughs> scene is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, that um, yeah, the image that the movie leaves you with of her crying in the abandoned snowy street. Uh, uh, utterly alone that yes that's really really thought, stays with you. i thought you know in the spirit of the tone of this movie if we had done a what's the sequel you know uh oh, it's that yeah. it's it's a really short it's like a it's a short film is the sequel <laughs> to this movie is just here is some gallows humor for you read lucky and listeners okay. is the sequel to this is just a short film which is we pick right back up to her weeping in the snowy street and mm-hmm. a semi hits her she just didn't see it coming you know it's like, it's like <laughs> yes. yes it's a little bit of uh yeah uh, we call it uh guillotine humor in this one because everybody's losing sure. their heads so yes but yes that's uh yeah. <laughs> nice uh, nice so all right it is time nope before we do it before we do it i do want to do this before uh, because uh, we are occasionally remiss on this. This movie does matter for some relevance here. Uh, but brief, brief, brief summary, girls kind of boarding school. Um, uh, you're introduced to three kind of primary lead characters. Um, yes. and one of them starts exhibiting pretty, uh, you know, unorthodox behavior that materializes as the film proceeds that there is a it's a it's effectively a possession film um and the third as referenced in the patron segment the third uh female you meet is actually that one nine years on after she has killed the middle kid so middle middle uh school girl so that's a really poor summary but at least gives the rough skeleton of kind of where things go so we can uh before you to to just tag on to your summary we can name them so we meet Rose. Rose is a singular figure. We meet Catherine, and we meet Joan. It is Joan, in case we reference them. Yeah, uh, Joan and Cat. Yeah, Joan and Catherine is are revealed to have been the same person nine years removed from each other. Um, and uh, it is Catherine who you reference that begins to exhibit the really you know uh, violent and disturbing behavior. Um, and then yes, uh, we find out that Joan, who we've been following for some time before that, we eventually find out yes, Joan and uh, Catherine are the same person. So, yep. Okay. But that aside, Reed, it is now time for the part of the show where we discuss things 
that aren't as wrong, but of which might be said, that ain't right. Sure as hell ain't right. Reed, you're a good friend who I just appreciate. Let's me just kind of do voices, you know, work oh, on my it. missed my missed career as a broadcaster, and <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> I love it. It's endearing. I love it. It's yeah, really, yeah, yeah. Nice. I mean, it's it's possible. Fogoween this year was orchestrated entirely just for me to be Wailing Walter, the, <laughs> the Wailing <ghost. laughs> Walter. Oh, man. That man saw a paragraph and he's like, this will take an hour. <laughs> like, oh, man. That was that was fun times. I enjoyed that okay. vigorously. So um, I want to I want to go first here only you, because of the setting first. Okay. in which I watch this movie. So mm, this mm-hmm. movie this movie is is. It's a creepy movie. That's <laughs> a creepy movie. Um, and in fact, I don't know if so. To your recollection, when you watch it the first time, mm-hmm. and you may have alluded to this a moment ago, but you know, I catch about five percent of the things you say. Um, the, That's evident. <laughs> <laughs> did you know going into the Black Hood's daughter, its tone, its relative shape? Like, was it? Oh, I'm a. This is a possession movie. Like, did you know some of that? Nothing narratively. I predicted the tone because I had seen I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. So okay. I, because I had seen that, I knew this is Oz Perkins's style. So I was, I was ready for a more deliberately paced, more sort of methodical narrative. I knew nothing about what I was going to be receiving in terms of, oh, yeah, it's, it's straight up like devil worship and... You know, right. all this other, yeah, like all of that kind of stuff. Well, Knew nothing so, about so that. yes. So, so uh, again, when I'm starting this movie thinking it's a period piece, I'm immediately thrown because FYI, spoiler alert, it's not. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Uh, uh, my own fault. Joke's on me. Uh, so then I just don't know what I'm getting. And that's totally cool. I love that. So, but mm-hmm. I'm also not thinking possession movie i I just i really have no idea what the kind of undercurrent what is the horror that this movie is going to be it's got that creeping dread to it and so that's great from a tonal standpoint but really i'm not prepared for just how hardcore it goes um by by the end and Mm -hmm. as these three women's stories intersect um as reed mentioned two of them very explicitly and directly being uh the same character which you don't know till or aren't explicitly told till late late um poor cat just uh, here here is this isn't my that ain't right but there's a that's so right and it's kieran and shipka holy cow she's wonderful oh she's wonderful i mean yeah and by wonderful you mean scary af like well yeah she's she's an outstanding sells the hell out of some of these scenes and shots yeah do you know what i wanted to so i knew her from mad men my wife and sure. i watched the yep. whole run of mad men um but this and mad men are about the only things i've seen her in mm-hmm. i have yet to watch but if anything makes me want to see this it is her performance in this film i have yet to watch the chilling adventures of sabrina the netflix oh, series yeah, that yeah, she yeah. that she headlines i haven't seen a, a single minute of that of that series um but her performance in this i actively thought that while i was rewatching it which is the reason i so enthusiastically yeah. interjected i mean is, that's, yeah that's she's reasonable wonderful. because because there are 
I mean, this is, I'm building to my, that ain't right. But mm-hmm. the reason I cap here is simply because some of the things she puts on screen facially body language wise, yeah. it is, it, it feels otherworldly in places. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. and so on top of all the things that might be called that ain't right in this movie, the thing that got me the most, because I have no idea where the story is going. It's clear she's fraying. Mm-hmm. Um, I think by this point, you know, something's gone wrong with the two adult sisters. I think maybe the cops have shown up at the house, you know, they're aghast, but don't, we don't know what it is yet. And it just cuts right. back to Rose. Has Rose returned from the, um, date? Is that what she has just done? Um, she's, no, hunt- she's looking in the film th- that late in the film. The date's long over. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Nonetheless, enough stage setting. Our character Rose, who we kind of like all these characters, you know, general in a, in a general empathetic sort of way. Sure. Yeah. Um, she's walking towards the frame down this long hallway. I know what um, you're talking about. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And um, again, boarding school sort of setting. Uh, very, mm-hmm. very shadowed set. They used actually. I did read this. A lot of natural light. Like they really intentionally did mm-hmm. not stage a lot of me. stage lighting. Yeah. And there's an audio cue. And at the same time, this audio cue happens sort of behind Rose emerges basically the fully possessed now uh, cat. Yeah. And there is this audio cue. And then she emerges out of nowhere and just starts stabbing Rose to death. But yeah. this yeah. audio cue and emergence of Kieran Shipka as fully possessed cat read. I, I, I pooped. <laughs> <laughs> I pooped on him, Kevin. I mean, I <laughs> <laughs> fifteen years of marriage never asked me to poop on him, Kevin. Oh my um, god! But I mean, I I came out of the seat a little bit in my little wicker. <laughs> I believe it. Uh, uh, love seat thing here because yeah. I, I oh man that that got me. I was That's like, that's a jump scare. You got me. You did it. You <laughs> did it. Uh, <laughs> you, you. That's when you start wondering, should you go inside? You're like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm getting squirrely out here now. That is um, the so, yeah. jump scare of this film. There's a couple, especially if you're listening to it in headphones, especially if you're listening to it, like with a really good song, strong sound design, no other noise sort of obstructing. Yeah. Um, there's that a lot of little it. good, you know, sort of jumps along the way, but that is the jump scare. Like you even texted me. Yep. That, that, and, and I knew this was the moment that you were referring to because I was like, yep, that one, <laughs> you get got <laughs> with that moment. I mean, it's, that is what's kind of cool. And it reminds me of, you know, how we talk about Mike Flanagan a lot, who kind of is very reserved with, you know, uh, leaning hard into things like jump scares. But it is lovely and cool when they just know how to do it really well and sure. save them. You know, mm-hmm. that that's, that's the kind of definitionally great jump scare. It's, Absolutely. You yeah. just... You don't go for it much. When you do go for it, make sure you've got it. You know, mm-hmm. like don't just startle me. Um, Absolutely, because she lingers anyway. down that hallway for a very long time, and then she sees the body Rose? in the stairwell. Rose does. Yes, there and you then go. She sees That's the body it. down the stairwell, and then that is supposed to be the moment of like, ooh, that was gruesome, something big. And it's when she turns around that that moment happens that you're referring to. And it is just, it is peak adrenaline. At that moment, it is yes, it's expertly crafted. It's 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 a wonderful jump scare, and it ain't right. That I agree. 
it's is uh, that ain't right. It, it, it fully ain't right. We can feel free to do a couple of these. What what would talk? I was going to say because man, like it's uh it's tough. Okay, so I'm going to say topping mine is going to be. I'll call it the tableau that Catherine creates in the boiler room of Jeez. the heads of the two sisters and Rose's head in this kind of lined up offering in front of this furnace where presumably this possession took place. But she's, she's put the heads of those three people that she's killed in front of them. And then that whole scene when the cop is trying to get her to drop the oh knife, my God. just the, the sustained distortion to the audio, his uh-huh. voice is kind of muffled and distorted. And then she very methodically and slowly rises up and just begins to walk towards him. And it is creepy AF. And then she slowly, everything happens slowly, but it is just, it is gripping. She slowly raises her hands to like up above her head. And uh-huh. then like right after that, like when her hands get all the way up there, that, you know, I, I don't think it's distorted, which I think makes it even creepier. It very, she very clearly says, hail Satan. And then yeah. like, Oh my God! It's that whole scene. I was just like, "Oh my lord!" I turn on Gaither vocal band. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> like, "Like get this, get this," because he lives. I'm like, you know, we can. <laughs> I'm cracking into my old seat. Then I queued up the ride by four. That's right. I was like, you know what? Roller coaster. Roller coaster. Roller coaster. Roller coaster. I'm like, oh man! Somebody give us some Stevie Curtis Chapman, please. I was like, oh man. So yeah, that was that ain't right. Fire uh, up your horses. Oh, saddle up your horses. Again. Fire up it's your saddle, horses. Yep. It's, it's, fire up your horses. A totally different. Thing. We got some heads to burn. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> oh man. So yeah, okay, that whole yeah. scene. That whole scene. Oh, it's right. it, it ain't is. Right. None of it's right. That's that's horror, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. That's that ain't right. Plus this this is your newest addition to the newly added. Do you think? To the do you think section. in the editing room? They freak themselves out. They're like, oh, oh shit. I'm just this like, yeah, yeah. Too like, much. Keep going. Like, Ooh. <laughs> Do <know>? it again. <laughs> Do it again. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, Ooh. man. Because it, it is. It's like another director might have been tempted to make that really bombastic and shocking. What makes that no. scene so effective is that it is so sustained. Like, you just are watching it the, the whole time. It's like a single shot for like almost a minute. It's crazy it's crazy so yeah um yeah it's funny i didn't know that's where you're gonna go and had you not i was staring at that and like okay i'm gonna do that one if he doesn't say it so I'm sure glad you did that we um, definitely can go at least another one each because yeah this film yeah, i think full of them i think the, the what she hears on the payphone is pretty terrible but that's actually not what i'm gonna pick mm, yeah. um probably one of <sighs> talk about you know, in the editing room, knowing what you got, this is a scripting note, knowing what you got. This is early. This is early before you really kind of know what's going on. Okay. Rose has been charged by kind of the headmaster who Rose is a senior and uh cat is a freshman yes. um, at the school. Mm-hmm. And, um, cat's parents are not responsive to attempts to be reached there. She has this again, sort of creeping dread. They have passed. Uh, because she has a nightmare about it um, yeah. at the top of the film. And uh, Rose is sticking behind for uh, the holidays. Uh, and so now Kat is being forced to do so as well because no response from her parents. 
Rose is charged with kind of looking after Kat. And there's this moment where somehow I don't remember the total context of the scene, but Rose has kind of wronged or kind of pissed off Kat. And the line Rose has is, is there anything else I can get you? Oh, my. And then read Catherine in response. And to your point about the showdown, the Hail Satan showdown, this stuff is so subtle. It's so intentionally subdued. It's so kind of blink and you miss it or or blink and you don't comprehend its weight. Like her response is, no, you had your chance. Yes. Oh, my my God. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. It's jacked up. It is. (laughs) 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 Because he lives. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. It's that this is the kind of we need a new club logo. You got poop club and then you got like the Gaither Vocal Band Club. Like yeah. this there are scenes that just make you want to turn on some religious Dance. music because you just like, want to call man. down the Lord. Ooh, Take, but yes. Yeah. So yeah, that would I think those would be kind of my primary two sure. uh, other than what you named. So is there what what's another one that you'd sort of list and then we can head out and get it? In <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. Um in the spirit, what's funny is this is not a that ain't right that I wrote down. Uh, I, you know, I would give an honorable mention asterisk to what you keep referring to as the shadowy goat man appearing mm. in a few different scenes. Mm. Ain't right. It ain't right. It ain't right. But it's so I, good. You're like, oh man, very Y'all effective. That. It's very effective. But um, my that ain't right might not register to people as a that ain't right, except for in retrospect or as a second viewing. But it absolutely registered to me this time around as a that ain't right is when Joan is in the hotel room talking to Rose's father and asking why he's helping her. And he asks her, do you believe in God? Mm-hmm. She says, no. And he's like, just like that. No. And then they continue to come to converse about this. And, and then he says, he talks about how, you know, he saw her and she reminded him of someone and he could tell she needed help. And then his line to her eventually is, he said, why I needed help is I saw God in you. And I was like, that, that line has a tremendous amount of gravity and weight given everything that the film later delivers Um, and it just, it stood out to me so much as just a, like, wow, her, her receiving of that and her treatment of him and his wife, Rose's parents after that, um, it just, that, that, that moment has a tremendous amount of gravity, just that he would profess. We don't really know at that point in the movie, if he's benevolent, if he's got, you know, good Mm -hmm. intentions, bad intentions, because he's still something of an enigma to us. Turns out he is. You know, a bit. He, he he's very broken by the loss of his daughter, but his intentions here, other than maybe a you know sort of surrogate chasing after trying to reclaim what he lost in in his daughter's death, um, he has benevolent intentions here. He has no malintent for helping Joan, um, and so him saying to her, "I see God in you," particularly when that same character. We later see everything that that character exhibits and does. Uh, it's yeah, it's pretty. It's it, it sat with me this time around as something of a that ain't right. So uh, I mean, maybe towards the end of the conversation, because there's a lot of richness to it that we will. Uh, I, I'm, I'm articulating it as a that ain't right because of how chilling it was to me in the moment uh, to hear him articulate that about her. Um, so yeah, 
And this has been the part of the show where we discuss things of the film that aren't just wrong, but of which might be said, that ain't right. That sure as hell ain't right. Um, It ain't. It ain't. So, Reed, is it possible that the theme of this film is just don't use payphones? Is that? Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I got. That's is that what you wrote? Okay. Good to talk. the fog meter. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so, um, um, yeah. I want to know if he's thinking of me. I say a prayer and every heartbeat. Wow. I fall in love whenever we meet. Sorry. That's just. Oh, I want to dance with somebody. <laughs> we're just going to start singing <laughs> some of my favorite songs. Where were, where were we? Um, uh, my wife makes fun of me for a lot of things but this particular <laughs> one she? not for a lot of things she's not cruel um <laughs> but there are i do have and you would know this but i do oh I do. i've got i've got lanes i've got a few <laughs> very particular lanes you got they're a little bit they're a little bit narrow yeah yeah well no <laughs> highway involves there's a lot of people on them i really don't think there are um <laughs> fair fair pushback one of them is 80s pop music like it just mm, okay it, yeah it, mm-hmm. uh, and possibly you know there's there's your hair bands your journeys and whatnot yeah and, um but then there's also the the, the female pop stars bon Jovi's and yeah a la mm-hmm. whitney houston yeah. and i think we were in the mall we were in the mall because we went okay. to see wakanda forever I took the girls took the big kids oh okay. and we went and ate the mall food court which is just not a real super pleasant thing but we had minimal time and whatever it's mall food court okay um, sure and Whitney Houston was on and I couldn't resist. And I was like, I can't resist. She's like, I know, I know you go for it. You know, I was like, I can't not. She, you do. If, if a person's trying to talk to me in that moment there, it is a losing game. She just you know? quickly resigns. She just quickly yeah, resigns. Yeah. She's like, okay, no, thing, no, 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 here do it is. Thing. Here it yep. is. That yep. is. I'm a hysterical. walking karaoke machine and, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't need much anyway. Sorry. Um, no, that's okay. Uh, what was I going to say? After pay phones? I don't know. But, I, I, you know, you <laughs> you pointed to that line as chilling, that sort of mm-hmm. conceit. Uh, I imagine that has some links in a chain for you thematically. It does. More yeah. than just. So I, I'm kind of inviting you. Like, what, what sure. to you makes that particular line chilling and potentially resonant across the piece? So, a couple of dots to have to be connected is Catherine's first experience as we see her is to have a nightmare revealing that her parents are dead. Now, the film never validates that her parents are dead, but it is not definitively, but it is pretty safe to presume that her parents truly did die in a car accident. I think that's a safe I'll say, I was confused by that opening scene. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Well, okay. only because, again, I'm trying to orient myself. And I don't remember now, because, again, I've only watched it the one time. I, re- mm. I recall she wakes up out of it. But I, I would not have told you. If you'd pause it right there and said, was that a dream of remembrance or a fabrication of imagination? I would not have known how to answer yeah. that. And so it did not stick with me. That this was a nightmare, a foreboding. That yes. so, so it took me a little while to understand. That so piece. she she wakes up from the nightmare and then walks to the calendar, and there is no version of 
anyone watching this film who would say, oh, I didn't catch that where I would make them at all feel bad about it. Because again, Oz Perkins is a very subtle director. So there's plenty of things that he puts forth that I wouldn't necessarily call as interpretive. Some of them are, but um, it's not esoteric or evocative like an enemy type film. It's the, the, it just, he delivers the information without big bright neon signs or overt lines of dialogue. After she wakes up from the nightmare, she looks at the calendar on the wall and the calendar on the wall has a day. A lot of days have been sort of crossed off. There's a blank day. And then there's a day with a heart around it that says mom and dad here and a heart Mm -hmm. around those words, Mm -hmm. mom and dad here. The reason that communicates to me that this was not remembrance is because she looks at that. And when she looks at it, she puts an X over the blank day, the day right before it. Right. And that communicated to me, okay, she wasn't remembering that her parents had died. And of course, they obviously, like, nobody at the school knows that her parents are dead, which if it was in the past then. But then as the film progresses, they aren't there for her performance and they don't continue to come uh, or they they don't come to get her for the break where everybody's leaving the the girls' school. Um, And so... When she opens with that nightmare, uh, then, as I see it, this is somewhat interpretive, she has left herself somewhat susceptible because she is now without home and family that we know of. I don't know. The film doesn't deliver to us any potential extended family that she may have. No version of it. We don't know her history. We don't know her background. And what the film does deliver to us is that she is repeatedly attracted to the idea of being able to stay at the school. Now, we learn later that that's because the devil on the other end of the phone was telling her to stay with him. But like, regardless of that, she's enticed by the idea of, uh, oh, I'm not without home. I'm not without, you know, place to belong. Uh, I'm not, I'm not alone. I can stay with him, you know? Well, then the film delivers this narrative out of chronological sequence the film delivers us jones story out of sequence like if the film were linear we would see all of the stuff with Catherine and all of the stuff with rose and then would jump forward to joan as it plays out we are interspersed with joan's story played by emma roberts and Catherine and rose's story and Catherine and joan are the same person as we've already established and so what makes that line I'll go back to that line at the end. Sometime in Catherine's narrative, when Rose was not looking after her, but we later learned that Catherine kind of saw the the goat man shadow even in her exchange with Rose when they were talking about the sisters. And so the, the, whatever it was was already sort of working its way towards her to entice her, to grip her, whether this is a a psychological reality or an authentic spiritual reality. Well, if I can jump in there real quick, I'm sorry, but as a just sort of narrative note, the movie does a really good job at red herring you with the sisters. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Like Mm -hmm. Rose kind of has this semi throwaway line at one point. Why are you hanging out with them? Or why are you associating with them? Right. They they worship Satan or whatever. I don't remember exactly. Yeah. That they're devil worshipers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But but it's kind of like that is his only real, like, conventional Hollywood 
thing where it's like, sure. Yep. Hey, don't think about this. Don't think about what they're doing too much. Think about what she just said. Uh Oh, what's going that that going to mean? It right. means nothing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really? Nope. Nope. It's an ultimate MacGuffin. Um, but you use the word possession and I don't think that possession as typically evoked in cinema is necessarily what's happening. Now, it is undeniable that she is under a profound amount of influence. And if we want to shorthand that to possession, that is appropriate. But there's a certain degree to which the enthralling that has happened of this dark figure that keeps speaking to her, telling her to kill everybody, using a very ugly word, telling her to kill everybody and to that he, that she can stay with him. There is a scene late in Catherine's story where the priest of this girl's school comes and performs a legitimate exorcism. Mm-hmm. And the exorcism is not a climactic moment in the sense that most other possession films are where, oh, this is going to be the fight. This is the battleground. What happens is the priest performs the exorcism and in a kind of a chilling moment, he like looks into her eyes. And then finally, when he says, there you are, you realize pretty quickly, he's not talking to Catherine in that moment. He's talking to whatever is influencing Catherine. Well, then Catherine look at, sometime after the exorcism has progressed for a bit. Catherine sort of levitates off the bed. When she falls back down, she looks over to the side and the shadow of the goat man figure mm-hmm. is going away. And Proceeding. she begs. Yeah. And she begs him not to go begs him not to go. And when she begs him not to go, then we are, again, you're kind of putting the puzzle pieces backwards, and I I don't know if this was intended, this is just what I gleaned from the movie, that when he's leaving, she is now left void, left absent of that, and of course she's going to be venturing into, we don't know all of the things that happened to her after this, but we get flash images of probably mental institution. Um, You know, we see a nurse giving her like, you know, medication and stuff like that. Um, So those are the kinds of things that we see Joan remembering. We don't know exactly what it means until after we've seen everything that happened with Catherine. But I'm, I'm working my way back to that line. These are just puzzle pieces you need to know to connect it all. So she wanted this thing. Many times in possession stories, bondage stories of, you know, spiritual bondage or stories of profound demonic influence, the demonic influence is an invading presence into the person's life. Catherine wants this. She wants this this entity that she has latched onto to be a part of who she is. And it leaves and she is left somewhat listless and somewhat directionless about it. But then when Rose's father says, I see God in you, there is, it's worth noting, that she is at that moment not under, if you're following the chronological narrative, she is not under the, the influence of the evil spirit. She is trying to chase after it. She's trying to recover that by going back to uh, Bramford. She's trying to go back to that place because what she wants to do is she wants to recreate. School, yeah. She wants to go back to the school because she wants to recreate what she did because she wants to reconnect with this malevolent entity. These are very interpretive takes on the film for me, but 
She wants to reconnect with this entity, and she can't do it. This, the only way she remembers how to do this is to take life and to perform a new kind of ceremony, if you will, to try to bring back this entity so that this entity will have her again. So the reason that line is so chilling to me is because she actively rejects the notion that there is anything of the divine in her at this moment. Now, you could say that the father is merely being uh, magnanimous towards her, that he's, real, that he's merely expressing a sentiment rooted in his own journey coping with the death of his daughter. And that's a valid take. It's, it's a valid take to say, like, well, no, he doesn't really see God in her. God's not really in her. It's, it's just, it, it stood out to me as pointed, and this will tie off my considerations of the film, but my take on the film is she is left from the first scene alone, utterly alone, because her parents have died. Somewhere in that processing, this malevolent entity either in her own psychology or maybe there is a spiritual reality happening. Again, I keep saying, I think the film keeps it close to the chest whether what is happening to her is real or not. But from her experience, this malevolent entity gives her belonging. It says, you can stay with me. You just have to do this thing. You just have to kill these people. She kills the people. She is gleeful about this this belonging that she now experiences, but then the cop shoots her, and she clearly goes away to like a mental institution. And then as Joan, as the Joan we meet nine years later, she then, when she giggles in the bathroom, she now sees a way that she can, um, you know, reclaim, reconnect with this thing, with this with this entity. But the last thing I'll mention about this is when she goes through it again, and does this thing again, she is now not under the influence of this entity. She is chasing after that entity. She's chasing after uh, what she experienced before, and that's why she kills Rose's parents. The reason she killed Rose and the sister could be blamed upon this influential entity, this broken psychosis or whatever that, that is driving her to do this. But as Joan, this is her choice. This is what she's doing. So to have earlier in the film her to be directly told, I see God in you. I saw God in you. Like she's kind of being offered a choice at that moment. And her immediate response to the line is, when do we leave? She's got to get out of there. She's got to keep going back. She is rejecting all of that. And when she goes through the process to kill those parents and then goes back to that boiler room where once she bowed, once she offered up these sacrificial things, she gave kind of everything that she had to give up to this being, this entity. Now she goes back to it. It's cold. It's lifeless. It has nothing for her. It is void and it is empty. So where is she left again? Kind of right back where we first saw her, which is cold and alone, utterly alone this time. Because now, regardless of the tragedy that she wrought on this family, the entity didn't return to her. She has nowhere to belong. She is, and now by her own doing, she is utterly void of, of belonging. And that's, that's really powerful and affecting to me. And the reason I go back to that scene where he said, I see God in you, is because it feels to me that she was being given a crossroads choice at that point of how is she going to respond to what is taking place here? Is she going to go down this path 
or that path, and that's chilling to me. Hmm. Did you know that the final scene when she's outside, Emma Roberts, who plays Joan, so this was shot in Canada. Yay, Canada. Mm, mm. And did not know that those days of her outdoor shots were for that region the coldest in recorded history. <laughs> for real? Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. And she's yeah, not yeah. wearing like a big woolly jacket oh. or anything. That's that had to be uncomfortable. Um so yeah, I mean like I've talked for easily ten minutes now explaining all of that. Um, easily. I'm just kidding. So I'm um, so I'm remiss to further go, but there you know, there are obviously considerations beyond just that my interpretation of the narrative of the film, but that's that's what I take from the narrative of the film. And so I'd I'd, I'd love your thoughts on on that piece and on on what it all means as well. Does that resonate to you at all? My my interpretation of the Yeah, events? yeah. I'm just I, yeah, I'm 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 in a way we don't normally you know, I'm 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 absorbing your reflections of two viewings and trying to cross reference it mentally with some of you know what I might have thought and and nothing you're throwing at me is kind of at odds with with what I would have thought or said necessarily. It's just more you know kind of uh, synthesizing and got it. This is one of the reasons I think that I kind of prefer the original title of February because. Because I do think the film's heartbeat, arguable if it's an active one, is about utter and absolute separation. To the point that Mm. um, I didn't know this, but Anthony Perkins, who is Oz's father, as well as his mother... Uh, I'm sorry, Anthony Perkins is not both <laughs> Oz's mother and father, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> whoa, <laughs> crazy world! Oh my um, god! Uh, both his mother and father, his father mm-hmm. who happens to be Anthony Perkins, mm-hmm. suffered uh, premature and/or tragic deaths, and mm-hmm. so this much of the commentary and chatter about this film is about authorial the author's mm-hmm. authorial expression of loss and grief and uh, I'm going to show you this just so you know I didn't do this while you were talking you can't really see oh. it because my screen's black I say that you've circled Saturday, yeah. Saturday at 7pm so I okay. read this days ago and it's an interview with Perkins and he said the director and He's talking about the upset, the possession notion. Oh, okay. And he says, because people understand what that means. They understand that to be demonically possessed is essentially to lose yourself. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's a loss of your life and an alienation and a distancing from all that's familiar. So I was able to use that almost as the, as the disguise for a sad portrait of someone who is just grieving from loss. Mm -hmm. And while I understand the title's resonance insofar as a familial dynamic in its verbiage, something I like about the previous title is just it's it it's the invocation of the bitterest and brittlest of colds, you know, of, of, of utter and absolute alienation. And, and 
it may feel like I'm talking around your broader point. I'm not. I'm trying to angle in on it just because here's what I feel relatively confident about is because of just how muted this film's presentation is. It is not showy. Right. It is not boisterous. It is not bombastic. It is not ostentatious. To your point, even the exorcism scene is very uh, sad. Yeah. It is not yeah. mm-hmm. alarming or arresting as a, mm-hmm. uh, from a film design, from a mm-hmm. film craft standpoint. And so, personally, I think there's a world where the dad there, and yes, you're supposed to question his motives because we don't know him yet. Right. But I think even on paper, though, ultimately, I think there's a chance it's just him trying to connect in yeah, the sure. way mm-hmm. he kind of comprehends how, based on the journey he's on, who is just as broken. But he, it matters that even he has this totem. It's, it's, it's perhaps a misplaced, no, it is a misplaced affection. It is unhealthy. Yeah. And he still yeah. carries this, but it is still a thing rooted in real, a real dynamic and what cat never gets is, is real connecting. Mm. And, and so I think why this movie is interesting and fascinating is like, it's almost like this through narrative on film, this expression of utter, aloneness like like yeah it's it's so it's so tragic and so bitter and so cold that i i i mean i mean to even conceptualize like i was talking to my oldest kid the other day and we're in this stage in our family's journey where our oldest kid who's in ninth grade, just okay. FYI, fresh freshman in high school. That's unbelievable. Cat is a freshman in high school. So, you mm. know, it's, it's funny, actually, the more I think about it, the more the, the age nine years later, it doesn't bother me at all. I mean, oh, that means, mm. that means Joan is 23. Like a ninth sure, grader is sure. 14 years old. Like yeah, she, she yeah, definitely sure. does not like Emma Roberts could pass for a teenager, but sure. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, from a pure age standpoint, that doesn't bother me. Um, mm mm-hmm. But our eldest asks a lot about social media and, and through peer pressure of hers that she receives, you know, is interested, intrigued, compelled, you know, uh, it holds this mystique and we have, we have held the line so far and, yeah. um, and, and so the other day I'm, I'm deviating a little bit to get back to empathy. Uh, uh the other day. She and I, because I I don't remember where we were coming from, but we were in the car for a good bit. And she asked, because there's one that she put on the table for us to ponder, because this is kind of how it goes in our house is she says, well, what about this one? And we say, well, let us talk about it and let us do some research. And sadly, a lot of times it's more a no than a yes. Mm -hmm. Um, But I started talking to her about it. I said, well, you know, here's some of the reasons why this is a struggle for me misinformation, disinformation, and, and the, um, fortunately she was actually pretty savvy to those two words and what they mean. And I said, you yeah, know, yeah. um, the, the, the whole 
Paul Pelosi stuff came up, and I'm only noting that here for no political reason, except that I was trying to convey to her, I was like, you know, the hard part for us as people is we should have empathy for the person who, who, who attacked someone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like something really terrible has created a wall of noise. It's Cujo has created a wall of pain and noise in a person's Mm -hmm. life that propels them into heinous activity. Now we should condemn the activity. We should, there should be appropriate punishment for the activity. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is very difficult and we shouldn't, um, you know, kind of just condemn that person that this is, this is the tension of a compassionate individual in the world. And when you have, and the point of it was simply misinformation and disinformation remove from us the truth of ourselves. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm when we totally cloud uh, a, an individual acting out of noise and pain, we can't observe rightly because we're being clouded with noise and pain. And so yeah. we don't know mm-hmm. how to create empathy there. So I'm, I'm the long winded way to get back to the actions of cat slash Joan, which is to yeah. say they're heinous and they're awful and they're wretched and they're alarming and they're troubling. They're disturbing. They're unsettling. They're malevolent. They're wicked. They're evil. All the things. Yes. But it is, heartbreaking to watch this kid's journey. And, Mm. and so, you know, what does this kid know of God? What is a a kid who at 13 ish, uh, suspects we don't have information on if she ever got confirmation of what happened to her parents. True. We don't know one way or another. Yeah. Um, you know, you would assume maybe at some point the character learns a truth of that, mm-hmm. of what happened, but we don't, we aren't privy to that point being she's utterly robbed of anything called safe home and belonging and familiar. Yeah. Uh, way too quickly. That void is filled by a malevolent force. Um, she is, uh, acts out heinously. Uh, she is shipped off. Um, I have to imagine it was probably not, you know, the, the loveliest of times, uh, wherever she went. And sure. so flash forward nine years later, at that point, she knows this is Rose's parents. Cause she's already seen the, the photo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that man saying, I see God in you. Like, what would, what would you do? So mm-hmm. yeah, it's chilling because whatever, you know, and whatever you knew of anything approaching, uh, safe and home and welcome and belonging and love is utterly gone. It's utterly gone. Right. And and the only thing you ever knew of it was this perverted, twisted, wicked, evil version of it. So Mm -hmm. then when you go hunting for that again, Mm. you could condemn her. She needs to be quote unquote punished for her terrible actions, but it's too easy. It's too easy. And so if anything, while arguably this move movie leaves the viewer in a uh, definitively leaves Joan in a bleak place, like unquestionably, like you, yeah, you should worry for her next few seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, it leaves me in this bottomless empathy. Well, of like, dear Lord, you know, it's, I don't know what to do with Rose's dad's I see God in you. Hmm. I do know 
um, we are harbingers of God. We hmm. are extensions of, you know, and I think there's more power in me figuring out how to display that than in me maybe hollowly out of my own pathologies developed over trauma and tragedy saying to someone, I see this in you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, this is a rich, deep, heavy, heavy, heavy film. And I'm not arguing. I'm not attempting to argue at all. It's simply trying to wrestle down some of what thrums underneath it. You know? Sure. Of course. It just, there's a lot of, and, and uh, not disagreeing with anything that you're saying. There's, there's so much deliberate I don't want intention. You to hear, I'm sorry to cut you off. I don't want you to hear any dismissal, dismissal of what you're after. I'm just trying oh, to no, figure I don't. out how do I feel about what you're trying to yeah, pose of course, there and, of course. that kind of thing. Well, and uh, the, the film is so deliberate and it's very intentional because that's Oz Perkins's filmmaking style that I'll say it this way. There are so many scenes where he does not rely on dialogue. Every line of dialogue is vital to what he is trying to communicate. Now, that doesn't get us anywhere closer to, um, you know, what it all means. But I think because there are so many scenes where he does not fall into the trap of needing to make people talk to -hmm. communicate what they're going through or what they're seeing or what they're experiencing, that's why a statement like that father say, you know, having a conversation with her about God it it means something now. What does it mean? I I don't mm-hmm. know. But um and and to me, what I walk away with in the film, and maybe this you know this is probably rooted in a lot of my own thinking about it, is like yeah, I do walk away. I'll tell you what I thought of is is um this part of the story is usually delivered in uh, a very it's it's framed differently. This 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 Bible story that I'm about to to share. There's a, there's a story in the Bible where Elijah, after a long period of drought in the land, Elijah confronts King Ahab because the people of the, of the time are worshiping Baal. Baal is like the entrenched Baal or Baal, however you say it. He's the entrenched deific figure in the land, and Elijah goes to King Ahab and says, let's have a confrontation on Mount Carmel where we're going to, your prophets of of, of Baal are going to fight against me and I represent the Lord Jehovah and y- you know, your prophets represent Baal. The reason I'm mentioning the story is because they go first. And when the prophets go first, they spend their time dancing around the altar, begging Baal to make firefall to prove himself. And the text of the scripture communicates that they dance for hours and they scream for hours full of ritual and they cut themselves and they go to great lengths, even harming themselves and harming each other to try to get Baal to answer them. Now, most of the times when that story is is recounted by uh, preachers and teachers, it is obviously a very empowering thing because Elijah does not need to go through all that. In fact, at one point, he even ridicules the prophets for the rigor through which they're going. But bringing it back to Black Coat's daughter, I think about, I don't disagree with your choice of words there of heartbreaking, of thinking like, she makes a choice that before 
this is what the entity wanted her to do. I keep feeling the impulse whenever I, whenever I refer to the thing that she's being influenced by as an entity as if it is external. There is a very real possibility, a very real possibility, that it is only her trying to cope with the grief she, she is experiencing manifesting this entity and maybe it's always just been her is i mean that 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 is it's very possible that that's a reading of the film i am treating the film in my takeaways from it as if the entity is an external thing that has influenced her to to kill the people she first kills and so then nearly a decade later when she's trying to chase back to that thing she's doing she she giggles in the bathroom because now she has an opportunity to do again what originally the entity wanted her to do. And what that makes me think, lest I just recount my takeaways from the film uh, all over again, what it makes me think of are the ways in which we will be prone to justifying things that we know aren't good and faithful, and that we know are damaging to other people because we become so desperate to have what we first felt as a sense of belonging, what what first numbed the noise and pain, to come back to us and to be back with us. And so we think, well, before when I did this, this worked and this happened and I felt more at ease and I felt more at home, so I'm going to do it again but the problem is this time around, we're doing it more, I'm using the language of the film, like Joan is doing it more, she has no excuses that she's doing it under the influence of anything else. She, it seems to me, really thought, this is going to bring it back to me, and I will belong again, and I will feel happy and whole again. Because as, as jacked up as Catherine is, when she's in the throes of this thing, one thing she is not, at least visibly, is unhappy. She's smiling. She's bold in her choices. Like, whatever else she is, she feels a sense of glee. I won't call it joy, because that's not what she's experiencing. But she feels a sense of glee when under the throes of this influential entity. And I think when we first meet Joan, Joan is profoundly despondent and is profoundly downcast. And it seems to me she's continually chasing that thing. And as it so happens, her connection to chasing that thing is the heinous, demonic, ritualistic thing that she once did a decade earlier. And so now, when that doesn't work, it's just left vacuous and void and vapid. I'm not trying to be so alliterative, but those are the words that came up. And, and, and so it's, it just leaves her very hollowed out. And that resonates with me in the sense of I know the compulsion and the attraction to wanting to do things you know aren't good for you, potentially going to damage other people and going to damage your relationships and going to d- maybe do even more severe damage, but you're drawn to do it. Because you think that maybe if you do it, that euphoric feeling will come back. That numbing agent will come back. That embracing, albeit however malevolent it was, that embracing thing will come back and you will feel better and you will finally know your place 
And, uh, and that is part of what I find so heartbreaking about it is that she's made that choice to try to summon him again. And he doesn't come. He's, he doesn't return to her. She's just left alone. That's so more fleshing out of what? it. What? <laughs> <laughs> You're ready. Lackey. So what does it look like Reed to grow up? And I don't mean we grow up inside of a culture in a country, in a state, in a city. Like, I don't mean that. What is maturity? I don't even want to say wholeness because in that, that's, that's too elusive. That's too hard. Okay. Uh, wholeness is pretty elusive. Um, mm. but maturation doesn't have to be. Okay. And here's the thing, like at its core, this film is an immature, I don't mean obnoxious, but a not matured human whose safety system is robbed from her. Hmm. She, through psychosis or supernatural influence, finds a new safety system. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make a really hard turn right now and come right okay. back, which is to okay. say, okay. recently I've been entertaining, showing my kids, you know, kind of comedic movies that I enjoy. We did Pee-wee's Big Adventure a couple months ago, oh, and sure. I, I wouldn't show them this movie, but it's in the spirit of the, the, the flavor I'm talking about that this came up for me in my brain, Austin Powers. So the first Austin oh, Powers movie okay. I probably saw seven times in the theater read. I'm pretty positive that's the tally <laughs> it is the most I've ever seen one movie in the theater. I just kept going yeah. with different people. It hit our second run theater, which was probably like a dollar fifty back in the day. Why not? You know? You're yeah, young, sure. you're dumb, you got time and a buck fifty mm-hmm. uh times seven. And that's a big deal. I know you don't like to rewatch movies. That is a big, big deal. <laughs> that's a big deal. Well no I don't, I don't like to rewatch movies just by myself. Mm, I like, okay. I like, I like community. I like fellowship. I like that. Sure. Um, especially if, especially if we're laughing over Austin Powers, but what's really <laughs> funny Reed, is just recently I was like, how would I feel about this movie right now? And I got mm-hmm. a little sad cause I was like, I'm worried me right now would like really look down his nose at this movie. So I didn't watch it. it. I was like, I just want, I want, I want to have that warmth. I want to just mm, be like 1997. Okay, yeah. Nathan just friggin' walked out the theater and walked right back in time six, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, sure. The things that comfort us. So here's, here's what we risk watching a movie like the black coat's daughter is confusing the heinousness of cats actions. Mm-hmm four ways we do same things. Okay. Mm-hmm. Another asterisk. My wife shared with me a couple years ago, a quote, I actually think I shared it on the show before where this is the Rouse family. This is not speaking for fear of God. She was like, huh, I just read this interesting sort of quote. It was conservatism is the worship of dead things. I was like, damn, I like that. I mean, Oh wow. I'm, mm. I don't like it, but, that, that works. That'll preach. Mm-hmm. So speaking of things that'll preach, read. Don't miss the forest for the trees. Cat's actions are heinous. They are terrible, but they are a thing that brought her great comfort in a time when she needed it. Mm-hmm. And she goes chasing it again later. Yep. Yep. 
Reed Lackey, you and I spent 10 minutes an hour and a half ago talking about CCM. Yeah, we did. Mm -hmm. There are times in my life I want that back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want it back. Not because necessarily it was good, right, true, best, or God. Right. But because it made me feel good at a time. Yes, yes. And exactly. what is, when I say this movie's heartbreaking, it's because mm-hmm. maturation demands that it is not these external things mm. that growth, health, wisdom, love, God yeah. are manifest in. They are but things. The mm-hmm. movie illustrates them in heinous activity. Sure. But do not miss the point. We all do dumb shit all the time to try to recycle old feelings that we called God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is the work of a lifetime to put all of it aside, to quiet the noise and the pain and recognize, um, those things aren't creator. Yeah, of course. It is the work of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And foolhardy, asinine, and ignorant is the person who tries to tell you otherwise. The person or group or groups or political parties that tries to tell you otherwise. Recycling old feelings that were really just comfort, security, um, position, uh, privilege, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. aren't God good, healthy, even sane. Yeah. And so <laughs> grow up me, <laughs> mm-hmm. us, yeah. you know, it's painful. It is painful work to, to decouple ourselves from mm-hmm. those actions, those behaviors, those places, those things. It's okay to be nostalgic. It's okay, yeah. okay. to yeah. occasionally have that bittersweet reminiscence. Mm-hmm. But man, be careful. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. This is where I'm. No, no, I right now on this. I resonate so much with what you said because while Jones' actions are, as you put it, heinous, but she, again, she performs them. I just love the way you put it that like she performs them because at one time these things brought her comfort, and so she wants that back. And I think it's it's vital to know that it doesn't return when she does them again. And we have so many of those things that we want to revisit and that we want to re-engage. So many church activities and church-related activities and conversations, I'm not picking on the church when I say this because I think this extends beyond just the boundaries of the church. But so many of those things are meant almost as a recipe. Like, this is the way you cook this up, right? This is, this is the way you cook up this thing that once brought us profound comfort. And one of the things that – I was about to use the word chilling, so I'm just going to go ahead and, and use it. Like One of the chilling realities that I have come to accept about God is that he's always on the move. Yep. He's always on the move. And it is important – and this is, this is what I love about this concept. Like uh, I forget exactly where it was, but I believe it was Joshua. It, I believe it was to Joshua that God compelled him to build an altar so that he would remember what had happened there. Like, take this and build 
this altar here so that people will look back and remember. I could be misremembering that it was Joshua, and I could be misremembering a lot of things, but I remember that that idea of of being provoked to build an altar. But here's the important thing, is that you build that landmark, you build that 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 totem for this is the thing that happened there. Our problem, I think, writ large, is that we keep wanting to go back there as if that altar itself was God and where yes. God is right now. And we right. keep wanting to go back there and bow down to it as if that is where things are right now. But you're, you're absolutely right about the work of a lifetime. We have to move with it. We have to move forward with it as well. And if we don't, all we are left with are cold, dead stones. What we can do is we can look at them and say, this is the place where I found God. This is the place where I saw God in you. I'm going to use language of the film. This is the place where that happened. And I am so profoundly grateful for that place that I have marked this tree, that I have marked this, this ground, that I have marked these stones. This is the place where that happened. But now, I am in a different place. And you know what? Maybe God's here too. And maybe the place that I'm going to be in in 10, 15, 20 years, maybe when I get there, God will be there as well. But one thing that I can guarantee is that to go backwards is antithetical to the movement of the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God does not move backwards, it moves forward. And it's one of the things that I think we keep, and, and that, that does stand out to me in Joan's actions, is that she's wanting to go back. For sure. And... And yes, I think you're right to say it is easy to indict her activities because they are an extremity. We should not, indict her activities. We shouldn't indict her, perhaps. Oh, oh, sure, sure, sure. But what the the point that I'm making is it's easy to it's easy to write it off because of how heinous it is because it's yeah. extreme. Yeah. It's easy to indict her activities. Harder to see the same tendencies in ourselves to do the same things because our activities may not be so. Well, they certainly, God forbid, are not as extreme as Joan's activities. But we do, to your point, and, and, and it resonates profoundly with me, we do the same thing. And we would it would do us good to be mindful of saying that those totems, those those backwards views, that nostalgia, there's absolutely a place for nostalgia. I love invoking nostalgia. The songs make me feel good. The movies make me feel good. Playing the video games make me feel good. The feel, the vibe, all of it, it makes me feel good. But I have to remember that I'm not there and that that if I tried to recreate that in its entirety, it would be vacuous. It would be void because I have to keep moving my life forward and be in the present because that is the place where God is most resonant, not backwards in the past, not backwards in in some uh, totem, I think maybe to summarize what I'm trying to say is do not mistake the landmark that you put there to remember where you found comfort and peace and hope. Do not mistake that place or that thing as the object itself that brought you peace and comfort and hope. I said I was going to summarize and end up, I'm going to say it one last time. <laughs> one last time. Sorry. I just recently acquired a book that I have not finished, but I acquired the book on the basis of a, a, a sentence in its introduction. The book is called A God in the Closet. Now, 
that invokes a bit of LGBTQ imagery. That is not what the book is about. The book is about the secrets that we hide, the, the, the places that we go to provide ourselves comfort, the places that we go to lock ourselves away from everything else, the things that we do to, to hide from the world inside of other things. And the sentence that made me buy the book, and I'll maybe report back after I finish it if I really loved it this much, the sentence that made me buy that book is said, we've never stopped to think that the reason us hiding in the closet was so comforting was because we weren't alone there. And that's because the God who comforts us in our hidden secret places is just waiting for us to wake up and recognize that he's there. And that brought me, just like stopped me in my tracks because of the ways that we have such a tendency to go back to things, conditions, trends, and, and nostalgia and say like, oh yeah, if we can just get back to that, then mm-hmm. it'll, it'll be like it was before. No, 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 no. That's, that's not what God is drawing us towards. That's not what the kingdom of heaven is moving you into. It's, it's perfectly fine to recognize and acknowledge what it was and when it happened, what it was and when it happened. That's perfectly fine to acknowledge, but don't mistake that for God himself and don't mistake that for the bringer of peace, the bringer of comfort, the bringer of wholeness and, and health because they're not the same thing. Heads will roll when they listen to this conversation. <laughs> it's a gonna roll. Oh my god! It's a roller coaster ride. Oh man! Oh man! Oh man! Oh man! Oh man! Oh man. Oh man. So I um, say the measure of a man. Wow! Is that not is how tall he stands, how oh wealthy gosh. or intelligent you are. Man, man, you did know you some fought him. I did, didn't you? Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, so are, you, are you good and a to go? Of grace, yeah. <laughs> Pour me another a pint. pint. A pint of grace. <laughs> Show me another oh. one. Um, so, are you ready to go to the fog meter? <laughs> we won't do it all in an Irish brogue, but I'm uh, I'm ready. Okay, all right. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners what the fog meter is? Oh, fog meter <laughs> is how we measure the movies we cover on a metric of fear and God, scaled from zero to ten. Um, I'll start on fear for Oz Do Perkins, it. the black coat's daughter. Um, hey, the black coat's daughter by Oz Perkins. Ah. Um, I'm going to go for a... Um, <laughs> do you oh. do you do you uh fog it up before we yes start talking really i have a i have a starting point that the conversation could pivot up or down but i have a starting point when we go to fog meter where i say like okay i'm gonna give it a this and a this pretty much as soon as i finish the movie i'm like i would hmm. give it a this and i would give it a that and then the conversation may tilt that up or may tilt that down but most of the time that's about where it winds up landing uh, I think given its craft, its content, and its uh, effectiveness, I'm going to go with a nine. Oh, nice. Fear for Black Coat's Daughter. Okay. Um, I think it's for genuinely much the, horrifying. Yeah. yeah. For much the same reason, I'm going to give it an eight. I think it's very haunting. I think um, it, it's definitely richly compelling, but in a, in a, there are some scenes in there that are just hard to shake off. So, yeah, it's an eight for me. 
For The God Meter, this is, again, a very deliberate film. It's a film that has, I think, a lot on its mind. Its subtlety makes it a bit more demanding, and you got to dig a little bit for it. That's not because it's esoteric or confusing, but I think you got to dig a little bit for it, and I think there's a few different ways to take it. I'm going to land at a seven on this for The God Meter, um, and I, I, I do feel that there's a lot of richness to it, um, but not the kind of thing that would automatically make everybody go digging for that. Um, I think it's chilling nature is probably one of the more prominent things you'll walk away with. So seven for me, what would you say for the God meter? I think when you make, uh, conventionally a possession story, but that is almost a background element. Mm -hmm. It, what it signals to me is there's a lot, in the stew here. Yeah, of course that demands some heart and brain attention. And so I'm, I'm going to go with an eight. Okay. That means that we give the black coats daughter directed by Oz Perkins written by Oz Perkins, I believe as well. An eight out of 10 on the fog meter. It's a pretty legit. That's a solid showing. Uh, would you recommend the black coats daughter to people? Um, horror fans for sure. And, And in fact, I think, um, unlike enemy, uh, I do think the black coat's daughter is a rewarding narrative experience, you know, like mm-hmm, enemy is mm-hmm. very much again that in that academic space. Um, I, I think I could see a world where it could be too heavy and hard. Um, hmm. you know, so I think maybe a little bit of caution just for how kind of despairing it is. Um, sure. I can, I can receive but, that, but, but broadly, yeah, I, I, I do recommend it for the horror fan. Yeah. Um, I think I would say it about the same. I would, I would probably have even fewer qualifiers. I feel like you are, you make some really good points about how bleak it is. And broadly speaking, like that bleakness kind of can't be avoided. Maybe it's just me. Uh, so, so I do recommend it. Um, maybe it's just me, but I mean, here, it's fascinating to me for the people who would watch this film and sort of be off put by the fact that in a scene you have three decapitated heads and the person that killed those people stepping forward and saying very deliberately, hail Satan in a very mm-hmm. disturbing fashion. A film like that also has, um, although understated, a successful exorcism and has a lot to say about how vacuous that that malevolent entity is. So it's not exploitative in that way. It definitely gives you some rich things to chew on in terms of this person's own grief and sorrow. So to that end, I would say like, no, this is a, this is a pretty affecting horror film uh, that, I, that I would um, more broadly recommend, though I think you've made a really, really good and important note about how its bleakness could discourage and despair uh some people in in that sense if not engaged in 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 the right um, yeah i think if you were to take it purely on its face it could be a turnoff but yeah i can i can hear that yeah i I think our people are um savvy and smart and lovely enough that they rarely are going to take that approach yep nope i agree um so yeah that is the black coat's daughter by oz perkins um, I'm excited. He's got a new film that he's, I think either filming now, or maybe he's almost done with it or whatever. So, 
Um, I, uh, I, this is a filmmaker that I'm going to enjoy keeping an eye on, uh, as time goes on. And thank you again, Asia and J. Mark Swartz and Tuber for recommending that we cover the black coat's daughter. That is, uh, this has been a great conversation that I highly enjoyed. Thank you, Nathan, for having it with me next week. We are going to go, as you already uh, forecast in the very beginning, we are going to be going to a film from Hungary mm-hmm. called White God. And it is interesting. From the title, you would not, from the title alone, you would never be able to guess what this movie is about. <laughs> but um, it is. But the adventures really, of Milo and Otis were already taken, was already taken yes, as a title. Exactly. Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey was also already taken. But um, <laughs> so, uh, but yes, yeah, so. So check out the film called White God. Um, if you're trying to figure out if we're talking about the right movie, I think this is the only one called White God. But look for the one that probably has a bunch of dogs on the cover because that's it's on what this it's movie is on Hulu, by the way. So oh, I did not know there was. That's not the avenue that I watched it through. But um, hmm. so uh, so yeah, uh, check out White God for next week. Thank you, listeners. Thank you again, Nathan. And as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit. We encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week, everybody. See you guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media and episode archive, essays, merchandise, and more. If you love what we do, consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash the fear of God podcast, where you will unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online events, and so much more. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of tracermatula.com for our artwork. Our assortment of talented musicians, Andrew Nelson, the Island family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes. And to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music. Special thank you also to Tyler Smith at morethanonelesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hi, everybody.